As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show. It is a post-game edition. I don't even know where to start with this Saturday, Ari. We had Kansas, well, the Toucans, the Kansas Toucans, not the Jayhawks. You saw their helmets. They had the the much longer beaks. And maybe that's why they won at Texas. And, and Kansas fans were chanting SEC at Texas fans. But Kansas beat Texas in overtime. Samford scored 52 at Florida, and Florida had to win 70 to 52. Oklahoma knocked from the ranks of the unbeaten. Probably not a playoff contender, even though I, I said they could lose one and make it, but now I'm not so sure because I just don't think they're going to not lose again. Uh, it, it, was a, it was a bizarre day, Ari. You know, they say that the playoff era is killing college football, but we're starting off with Florida and Texas. We're not even talking about the playoffs. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's what we were talking about the whole time. You and I did a live room, and and guys, I highly recommend you guys join us in these live rooms when we're watching games. We we did it during the Texas-Kansas game. We did not intend for it to be during the Texas-Kansas game. I don't even think I knew that's when Kansas-Texas was when we scheduled it, but it gave us a lot to talk about because I I mean, this is, this is incredible. You know, they just fired Tom Herman because he wasn't giving them what they wanted, but now I feel like they would give anything to be back in the Tom Herman era. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. Um, I cannot believe it's November 14th as we're recording this right now. And we're talking about Texas again. When will I be able to escape this hell? (laughs) <laughs> you brought it on yourself. You you were the one that remember the argument we had about we, we did the series where we did we ranked the best jobs in each conference. And in the Big 12, you and I had a probably 10 minute long argument about whether Oklahoma or Texas is the best job. And I, of course, correctly said that Oklahoma was the best job. And you fought me and fought me saying Texas is a better job than Oklahoma. Now do you understand? 
I know enough to know that I was wrong. I don't know enough to understand why. Well, nobody understands why. I think if somebody understood why, specifically the people who work at Texas, that they would get this thing fixed. But I don't think anybody really quite because everybody's like, oh, they have meddling boosters and there's a huge bureaucracy there. Okay. That also describes a lot of other places. So how come they can get their stuff together, but Texas can't ever seem to get it figured out? Texas is the bane of my existence, not only because I've been so high on what I think their ceiling should be in the past, but also because Texas is the poster child for people asking if stars matter. Because (laughs) I think it's like no matter what they do, it's just they've like, and I don't know what I did to hurt them, but, you know, I, (laughs) I, I watched that game and it's just, they got beat by Kansas. There's no other way to put it. Yes. I mean, they got beat on their home field. You had Kansas fans that were loud enough to make the broadcast yelling SEC, SEC. I love the fact that Kansas went for two there at the end to go for the game. Um, you know, it seemed like Texas was going to do everything they could to win that game. And once it went to overtime, I thought there was no way they were going to lose and they still lost, you know. And, you know, if this is going to turn into a major philosophical discussion about whether or not Sark is the right person for the job, I didn't have that on my 2021 bingo card for November. So if that's like, is that where, is that the road we're heading down? Like, is it too soon to do that? Like, I, I I don't think we're there yet. I think we're still in, Oh, Texas was maybe a bigger overhaul than, than we thought. But again, Texas wasn't this big of an overhaul when Tom Herman was there. They were playing for a overhaul thing, right? They were playing for a spot in the big 12 championship game. Just last year, they were winning in the fourth quarter of said game against Iowa State. That's how close they were. They're not anywhere near that now. You know, when you're talking about Texas, too, you know, I think when you're you're kind of breaking down where things are at with them, you know, you live with the Big 12 losses that they have. You know, that you live with the Arkansas loss. You live with the heartbreaker to OU, the uh, Oklahoma State, Baylor, Iowa State, and – and I think I read a stat somewhere that was the first time I've lost five games since like the Richard Nixon administration or something, uh, five games in a row. But like this one seem is it's a Big Twelve loss, but it's a lot different than the other ones. This one is just kind of like Texas isn't very good. Sark needs to build. Sark needs to build, and then this happened. It's like does this program even have a pulse? You know what I mean? I, this one just hits different, yeah. right? Oh, absolutely, because. Well, because losing to Kansas got Charlie Strong fired. I, I realize they, they played a TCU game between losing Kansas and actually firing Charlie Strong. But let's be honest, losing to Kansas was what got Char- Charlie Strong fired. So, yeah, I think that that used to be sort of if you did that, that that there was the that was the point of no return. But it can't be the point of no return in year one when when you gave Tom Herman a massive buyout to leave. And you paid a, Steve Sarkeesian a ton of money. And this is this is why I wrote the thing I wrote last year when they were on the fence, when they were trying to decide what to do. And I just sort of laid out the, the scenarios. Here's what you do. If you fire Tom Herman, but the candidates aren't ideal for what you want, here's what happens if you keep Tom Herman, which wasn't really much better. And they were in a, they were in a terrible spot. So I'm not... Shocked that they're in a an awkward spot now. I just didn't think it would be a lifeless spot, which is what what it looks like. 
if karma is real, I guess Kansas is the personification of that karma when it comes to how they played Oklahoma and Texas this year for the SEC move, right? Because Kansas almost beat yes Oklahoma, and that was a, t- a thing that people thought was holding Oklahoma back in the playoff rankings. Not that that really matters anymore. Um, but I, I also feel, too, that anybody who has been paying close enough attention to Kansas, um, and I guess if you listen to this podcast, you're like us, and you probably have, they aren't very good, obviously, but they are improving, and I think that it would be bad yes, podcasting to not give uh, Lance Leipold some credit for at least oh, absolutely. you know bringing you know a program that seemed dormant, dead, impossible to revive, and made them competitive in games they never would have been competitive before. And this was the payoff, you know. Sometimes it takes a while of building and building and building, close games, tough losses. You know, you show a pulse, you do things that you wouldn't have done before, and then you finally break through in November. And I'm not saying that this is some sort of revelation that Kansas is going to rattle off three more wins in the Big 12 this year, but I do think that it is a a legitimizing win in the sense that Kansas, you know, I don't know that I believe that Kansas is one of the worst jobs in college football, and, and maybe it is, but I don't know if I think Kansas oh, is the I, most I hopeless <laughs> job. Do you think it's one of the five most hopeless jobs, though? I don't think it's hopeless there. Yes. That's absolutely one of the five. Wait, what what jobs are worse other than maybe Rutgers? I don't know. I think Rutgers is a pretty good job, too. <laughs> I'd rather work oh, at Rutgers than Oregon State. Oregon, but Jonathan Smith is winning at Oregon State. No, I know, but I, I don't know that the area of the country that Kansas is in, that it is impossible to be semi-good there. And I feel like there's other places where it just seems impossible to. The thing I will say is there's no reason why Kansas should be this bad. Kansas should be a middle of the of the run Big 12 team that can you know win three or four games in the conference every year. There's no reason why they should be losing 55 to 10 every week. Um, I think that they are close enough to. I know Kansas is kind of in, in no man's land, but if you had the right guy, like you could create a recruiting plan in the middle of the country there where you have access to Midwest and Texas. Like, I don't think it's the worst possible place to be. Maybe there's um, questions about, uh, you know, administrative support and all the, all those sort of things. Well, they, but. They remember, they did, have, they did have Jamar Chase recruited for about five minutes. They, they had him committed for about five minutes. That it's was just when, like if when you, Tony if you Hull, had when Tony Hall was, was an it. assistant there. If you had your life depending on it and you had to, and I think, you know, in the last podcast, Andy, the – hypotheticals got people going like I can play some hypotheticals with you uh, would you rathers and stuff but if you had to pick if you were like given five of the worst programs in college football and you said your life depends on reviving this program I think I would probably rather start at Kansas than some other places maybe I don't know I mean like even Washington State and by the way we are watching Washington State Oregon right now it is the fourth quarter uh, Washington State got a fumble on the goal line as Anthony Brown was going in, and now Washington State's about to maybe cash that in. Although they, Kayvon uh, Thibodeau just did a Kayvon Thibodeau thing and, and sacked Delora. But Washington State seems like it'd be that type of program that you'd want to avoid. But they've been able to win there. Like Oregon State, you said that that seems more hopeless, but. Again, Jonathan Smith's doing well there. Mike Riley did well there for a time. Like Kansas, you've got Glenn Mason I mean, in the 90s, I guess. And and then Mark Mangino. And that's it. 
I mean, just like in 2021, where would you start? You think Kansas will be your last Power 5 pick? What about Vanderbilt? Yes. Better city uh, to use get, academics? At least I get to live in Nashville before I die. This is if my life depended on it. Like, you yeah, know, I, get, life- I get to spend my last year in Nashville. I, I, oh, I, I think I take that. Yeah. I mean, I guess the point of the, the, the story is if you have the right person there, though, it doesn't have to be a team that loses by 50 every week in its conference. Yeah, that's my opinion. It is uh it is pretty amazing though. But Jalen Daniels, great game for Kansas. Uh, the the throw at the end. By the way, did you see that the the guy who caught the two point conversion basically got knocked out by one of his teammates during the celebration? Yes, I, I think it was targeting. He fumbled, but the game was over at that point. So yeah, yeah, and it's like so appropriate too that Texas is. I think it was linebacker schooler had a pick that hit him in the chest and just dropped it, yes. which would have ended the game. You know, just like those types of things that always seem to pop up in losses like that. Well, so Kansas had the interception at the end of regulation that you thought, okay, well, it's, this is over. But then yeah. they went went three and out, punted it right back, and and Texas went down and scored. So, all right, so we, we've we've hit that one. Let's let's talk about another weird weird game that has nothing to do with the college football playoff. Yeah, you always tell us all we talk about is the playoff. No, no, no. We're here in November, and we're talking about non-playoff games. Florida 70, Samford 52. This game was 48-42, Samford at half. I don't even know where to begin. I don't even know. What what do you – I mean, you're in Gainesville. Just taking – I don't even know how to – The Gators are dancing in the locker room, and and I – listen, celebrate a win. I got you. I understand. But Dan Mullen is saying, you know, it's disrespectful to the game to not celebrate a win. No, it's disrespectful to the program to allow 52 points to Sanford. It's disrespectful to the game to not respect the importance of recruiting. Okay, I'm sorry. I had to say Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Oh, no. You're exactly right. But I don't even know how you make – like what what you make of that. Well, okay. So if there are wins that feel like losses and losses that feel like wins. Remember after the Florida-Alabama game – we were like, oh, this is this shows you that Florida is closer to to being very good and, and maybe hadn't dropped off as much after losing Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Tony. That was that was a loss that felt kind of like a win. This balances the ledger. This was a win that felt very much like a loss. Because remember, they lost 40 to 17 to South Carolina the week before. They're going to, to play Missouri, where Missouri just beat South Carolina. And I don't know how they stop Missouri, and I don't know how they stop Florida State. And neither of these teams is very good. So, like, if Florida were where Florida needed to be, we wouldn't even be talking about whether Florida needed to get much, much better to win these games. But Florida needs to play much, 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 much better to have any hope of beating Missouri or Florida State. And that's a strange place to be. I don't even, I don't even be. know like, if that's even a th- – do people even care about that right now? Like, I – Florida, fan, Florida fans I mean, I know do. Florida because, fans do, but, I mean, I just like, where is the Mullen situation right now? Like, well, is, is this seat, like, scorching hot, or is he fine? I think, I think it's – I think based on the public statements and, and, and the public actions – You'd think, okay, he's okay. He fired Todd Grantham, the defensive coordinator. He fired the offensive line coach, John Hevesy. And 
he will go into next year and replace those people. After Saturday, I don't know that that's the, that's the case. I think if they win the other two games, that he's okay. But I think if they lose either one, that I would have I would I would think they might do something. I also am not entirely sure they don't do something anyway after what we saw on Saturday because, because it's, it's the symptom of giving up, right? That's the thing. Right. If you're if you feel like your team has given up or the administrators feel like your team has given up on you, then that changes things. It's one thing to lose tough losses, you know, things happen. It's college football, no one's perfect. But when you start laying down and like, I guess you could say, yes. well, they fought back and they were dancing in the locker room. They had fun. That's fine. But I think I read a stat, and you probably know this if this is true, um, but the 42 points that Samford scored in the first half is the most scored in, in the swamp in the 48. history. 48, 48, I mean, sorry, was the most yeah. scored in half in, in uh, Florida history. Um, yes, and it not was just like in done, the swamp. Just in, in Florida any history. half Florida has ever played. Yeah. And it yeah. was Samford. It was Samford. This is a team. Well, I mean, you saw Florida's off what Florida's offense did to Samford. Their defense should have done the same thing. And Dan Mullen says after the game, well, you know, you got this offense, just they score points. They throw it around. No, they've only equaled this total once this year, and it was against Tennessee Tech. They've not reached that total against anyone else. So you're saying your defense is not as good as UT Martin as Mercer, as VMI, as Chattanooga. That's what you're saying, if you're saying that. And yeah. You may, be, you may be correct at this point. Your defense might not be as good as those defenses. I mean, if I just like – if I don't even know what – what can Mullen even say at that point? I, I don't think again? there's anything he can say. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I really don't think there's anything he can say, and I think that's He's already proven problem. he doesn't have the uh, – the, acumen to handle press conferences the right way right now either so well and the 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 issue is it's not going to get any better and i just don't know where i don't know where they go because the trajectory is all pointing down they just they just had a 2023 recruit flip from florida to georgia now i know there's a lot of time left but i mean that's the sort of thing you can't have happen he's an in-state guy a wide receiver uh, he's a four star if that matters for uh, you know some somebody who's still a junior in high school but that's the sort of thing that keeps happening to these guys like the trajectory is all pointing down and if you want to look elsewhere in the state well that team in Tallahassee that actually did lose a game to an FCS team earlier this year they lost to Jacksonville State Florida State came back and beat Miami on Saturday yeah like it's going to be a State fun game to watch. Florida in two weeks. If Florida I State, I don't think that Florida State can beat Boston College now that, that, that Phil Jerkovic is back. But if they can, then ver there, there's a very good chance. It, it depends on if Florida beats Missouri or not. But, well, I, they could both be playing for bowl eligibility is what I'm saying. You know, And, and if, if Florida State beats Boston College, no matter what happens with Florida, Florida State will be playing for bowl eligibility in Gainesville. And that is... That's not a place Florida wants to be. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess if it's, I mean, who's who's the favorite in that game right now? Uh, did Florida State beat Boston College? I mean, that that's really the question, I guess. Because yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, trajectory speaking, one's headed up and one's headed down. Uh, but, you know, it's just kind of one of these things where I'm very curious to see if you feel like your program is spiraling, uh, not just on the field, but off the field, as you mentioned. You know, I'm very curious to see how Florida handles this because, you know, at a certain point, it's like, I remember vividly, like this was a month ago, you said if, if Florida loses to LSU, things are going to get weird in Gainesville. Remember you said that? And then every that. week. They get weirder. It's getting <laughs> yeah. worse and worse and worse every week. And it's like, what is, yeah. I guess losing to Sanford would have been the rock bottom, but like, what is rock bottom now? Getting your bus kicked by Florida State? Probably. Oh, that would be that would be absolute rock bottom. I think I think that was always rock bottom because the idea of losing to Sanford never really crossed anybody's mind. The idea of Sanford hanging half a hundred on Florida never really crossed anybody's mind. So, I think that, that everybody's sort of recalibrating to the new reality now. But here's here's the other problem. There's a lot of jobs open, Ari, mm-hmm. and there's not a lot of obvious candidates for all of the really good jobs that are open or that could come open. And I would, I would put Florida on that list. If Florida opened tomorrow, who would you say is the replacement? James Franklin. I'm okay, then who goes I'm, to I was USC? Totally kidding. He's, he's just on, he's oh, on everybody's okay. list. I was just joking. I know. Well, exactly, exactly. So, but I think James Franklin would probably be on that list. But and and I know Florida fans would look at his record and look at like look at where they're at right now at Penn State and say, well, is that any better? Yeah. Um, I don't know. That's the hardest thing. I, I, I don't know that I agree with the idea of don't make a move because you don't know who you're going to get because I feel like there's always somebody. But I guess it's right. also kind of contradictory to say that and in the same breath just go, I don't really know. It's like is a guy like right. Dave Clawson. Especially when, when USC tape. and – oh, Dave Clawson, absolutely. But yeah. when, when USC and LSU are open and we don't know who's going to take those jobs, it, it's it, – now, here's the other piece of that, though, and we talked about this last week, I think. You can't not if you need to make a move. You can't not do it because there's a couple of good jobs open. Because there are probably going to be a couple of good jobs open next year too. So that can't really. Also, isn't Florida you. like a top five job in America, or is that like are those days gone? You what's tell the me, best Mr. Job? job? What's the, be- I, what's the best I job? I don't. LSU, Florida, and USC. I would say LSU's one unequivocally, right? Yeah. I think Florida's a hard job. Florida's a hard job because the expectations are the same as LSU. The expectations are the same as Alabama, same as Georgia. But they've not really had the recruiting success. They've had they've won national championships. They've won three national championships since 1996, both by Hall of Fame head coaches, both of whom burned out and left. So you have to accept yeah. that that's possible. I mean, anytime you you're in the, in the shadow of Alabama, I mean, that's just step one of. Well, and no, and no, none of these people had to deal with, with Georgia at the level that Georgia is now. Right. And I mean, like LSU, Alabama and Georgia all at the same time, you know, have taken turns. I mean, they've all, you know, if Georgia wins a national championship, you'll have three, was that three in a row? Those three, you know what I mean? So those three, correct. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean I like I find USC to be very attractive job, and I don't know if that's just my personality because I'd want to live in LA, and I think that exactly you know the recruiting, you know I, I don't know I mean USC in general I think access to talent winnable conference a program that has uh, you know national brand power 
uh, I, I think that that would be, I, I think I'd rather take the USC job than the Florida job. I mean, I guess it'd be kind of like the same thing that Chip Kelly did, except at a higher level, because, you know, I don't think UCLA has the same, the same, right. Uh, You're not going to get the same type of players as USC, right. but you still are expected to win at a high level. But USC has also shown the temperament to be patient. I mean, Clay Helton had the longest leash of on human history and coaching and, you know, yep. he didn't necessarily do anything near what they had hoped he would. And, you know, to me, like, I think LSU was maybe the best, I don't know, Georgia's probably the best job in college football, right? And then you have LSU I and Ohio so. State rounding out the top Well, three. We, we both think Kentucky's Alabama. the best job in college football, but, yes, but not yes. the same. We're, yeah, we're, I mean, we're, for we're the highest level. Can you win a national title? Yes, Georgia's the best one. And, and, and you said, I know, what about Alabama? Alabama has the best coach. George is the best job. Yeah, I agree. 100%. So, you know, it'll be curious to see, like we were talking about it in the Q&A thing that we had on the Athletic app uh, after the games on, we're at 9 o'clock on, on Sunday night. It's just like one coaching vacancy can kind of change the entire dynamic of like the paradigm of the sport. You know, if somebody goes here, somebody goes there, and the next thing you know, you got a big a big carousel of coaches that are kind of changing the the power dynamic. So seems like a very crucial off season. And, but I do think that if you're Florida and I'm sure you'll agree with this, Andy, that you can't consider what other jobs are open because you're Florida. You know what I mean? Like that you dictate the market. Right, you, you don't, you, you, you have don't. to look at it like that. You have yeah. to go into it like that. That's the only way. And I think that's a decision that, that Scott Strickland, the athletic director is going to have to make. And he's, he's got two weeks to make it basically, you know? Yeah. And, and I, I would imagine they're doing their homework at this point. And okay, if if we have to make a move, who might want to take the job? Who who would be a candidate? So that because I imagine they went into the season not even thinking about that. That's probably something they started thinking about. Maybe after they lost to LSU. Maybe it took until the South Carolina loss to really think about that. But I think I think they've got to be in that mode right now because it, there doesn't seem to be any coming back from this. But you know who will be back? Us. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We are back and now we are headed to Happy Valley. And Ari, this was the most interesting thing in the chat we had with our with our subscribers at The Athletic. We had a, a couple of Penn State fans and actually a couple of Ohio State and Michigan fans had sort of the same questions because they're fascinated by this situation. Michigan goes into, into Penn State, wins 21-17, great game. Uh, Wolverines score, what, about three minutes, three minutes and change to go to take the lead. But uh, the pass rush from Michigan was just absolutely fantastic. You can, you can see where maybe if they're getting to C.J. Stroud, maybe they've got a shot against Ohio State this year. I, I, I've not talked myself into that fully yet, but it, w- it was something to watch. Poor Sean Clifford just running for his life. But the Penn State dynamic of this is really interesting because James Franklin probably is on the short list of, of at least one of the schools that has an opening. I, mean, I would think USC would be one he's on the short list of. 
Uh, if Florida were to open, I think he might be somebody they, that they consider or that he'd consider them. But I, it didn't get, I didn't get the sense that the Penn State fans we talked to would be all that broken up about it. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting thing because six weeks ago when they were in the top five, the notion of Penn State losing Seamus Franklin to USC was kind of met with the collective panic of the fan base. And now, as another season has gotten away from Penn State, we're hearing fans say, well, we hope this happens, or we're ready for a change, or we need a refresher. And I just, you know, it's just a reminder of just how quickly things can change. Um, I don't know. I've been really hard on on James Franklin, I think, in the past. And, you know, part of the reason why is because I don't think Penn State at times has recruited to the level that they should be or what they could be based on the talent that's been in their state, especially in eastern Pennsylvania. But I just think that Penn State is at its ceiling as a program now. You win the Big Ten once every 10 years or – you know, compete to win for the the Big Ten by beating Ohio State once every five or ten years, and recruit really well, play tough games against Ohio State, be the second best program in, in the Big Ten, and then when the playoff expands, they get you in the playoff more years than not. And like the idea of okay, Franklin, go, we're fine without you. It's just like I think people should be a little bit careful for what they wish for because I think he's done. You know, I have questions about his in-game decision making. I think he makes weird decisions in every game I watch. Um, I, But I, I just don't know how much better the expectations could possibly be from what they're getting right now. Maybe not losing games to inexplic- like inexplicably losing games to lesser opponents like Illinois because they always have a clunker every well, now and then. But like a lot of right. college football teams do. But the thing about it is I'm a – the longer I do this, the more I become a believer in the whole reset your clock, freshen things up, don't let yourself burn out. And I think when you're ha- when you have a job at that level, it's really hard to do for a long time. And sometimes you do need a change of scenery or the fan base needs a change of scenery from you. So I almost feel like if USC wants James Franklin, James Franklin should take USC because it'll be better for James Franklin. It'll be better for USC. And it might be better for Penn State because then they'll have new blood, new, new, new voice, new everything. And you know, we'll see if it's as good. I do think there'd be a lot of quality candidates for that job if it opened, because that's one, you know, we talk about, Oh, I don't know what Matt, uh, what, what Luke fickle might want to move for. I don't know what Matt Campbell might want to move for. I don't know if Mark Stoops would ever want to move. And uh, that's a job. You could see any of those three guys, maybe one. And so I think there's there's quite a few possibilities if, if Franklin leaves. And, and I don't think they're going to fire Franklin by any stretch of the imagination. I think it would be all his choice. But I think it's one of those situations where everybody might win if that's what happened. I think there is zero question that James Franklin should take the job. If I were James Franklin, I would restart my clock. I'd move to California. I'd get out of the shadow of Ohio State. I'd be in a more fertile recruiting territory. I'd be in a winnable conference. I'd be at a prestigious program, you know, probably on par with Penn State, but on the West Coast. That's not in question. I think what's in question is whether or not Penn State fans are crazy for hoping it happens. I don't know. I, I have a hard time 
crushing fan bases for what they want because it, they're going to want what they want. You know, I, I had to, I have to explain the Florida fan base to people a lot because people will say, why can't they just be happy? They won two national titles in, in the previous decade. And most schools would, would kill for that. Most fan bases would kill to trade for that. I know, but they want what they want. That, so you can fight that all you want, but I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a winning proposition either. You just have to accept what your fans want and try to get it, especially if they're paying tons of money and, and Penn State fans filling that giant stadium are paying tons of money and you have the money. So try to give them what they want. Yeah, I maybe I should phrase it this way. Is this a be careful what you wish for moment? It is, but, but so is anything else. Any coaching change is be careful what you wish for. Ask Texas that. You know, te- there were a lot of Texas fans. Well, we got to ditch Tom Herman. Okay, you ditched Tom Herman. Now you're losing to Kansas. But that's the risk you take. Yeah. I just, here's the thing that I said on, on during the Q&A, and I'm going to say it to you on the podcast, because I don't think you even responded to me. Um, what? I never listened to you. But what is Penn State getting right now? They're getting top 20 classes every year, no matter what. They're playing Ohio State tougher than anybody in their conference. They won the Big Ten in 2016, and if it weren't for a loss to Pitt, I think I was, they would have gone to the college football playoff. Um, And during a pivotal point in time where we're talking about the potential expansion of the playoff, Penn State is probably one of the five programs in college football that would benefit from that expansion the most. So if Penn State fans want to move on from James Franklin, if that's your impulse as a Penn State fan, that is great. But in wanting that, what is your expectation for what the next person should be accomplishing regularly? Does that mean you need top 10 classes every year? Does that mean you need to win the Big Ten more than once every five years or every 10 years? Does that mean you should beat Ohio State every other year? Does that mean getting into the playoff when it's a four-team field? Like, what is it? Because right now, the Penn State that you have is probably as close to the ceiling as I can imagine for that program. I don't. I but just I don't, don't know. They feel I don't like see- the ceiling is the same thing you do. I think. I think they look at the ceiling as a little bit higher. It's probably more frequent Big Ten title contention. I don't think every year Big Ten title contention because obviously the Big Ten is they a contend for it every Ohio year basically is, until they play Ohio, Ohio State. State. I so again okay, but it's this is sort of like saying Auburn fans you shouldn't care if you beat Alabama or not. Well, but they do. They do care. I think that Penn State fans should care. And I'm saying they have a coach right now that gives Ohio State everything they can handle literally every time they play, no matter what the spread is. That happens every year. Okay. But that he's still not beating them that frequently. They beat them in in 2016. They haven't beaten them since. And you you occasionally get the wacky loss to Illinois. So I don't know if if he were able to cut out getting your heart ripped out is, is that much better. If Penn State were to cut out the wacky losses under Franklin, then would you say that they're at their ceiling? And like, I don't know. They lost to Iowa, Illinois, yes, Ohio and, State. And they would they would be like in a 12-team playoff, they'd be in pretty much every year if they cut out yeah, the Yeah, but you, what if you went back and added it up? They'd probably be in most years. But like last yeah. year doesn't count because it was COVID, right? But like losing to Minnesota when Minnesota was undefeated in 19, you know, I guess you can excuse that. 
Um, losing to Michigan State in 20, 2018 after a tough loss to Ohio State, you can excuse that. Like, I mean, Penn State has had pretty good results. They lost to Michigan State and Ohio State back-to-back weeks in 17, and those are the only losses they've had. You know, losing to Michigan and Pitt in 2016 but won the Big Ten. Like, I don't know. I'm looking at their schedule right now. And aside, I mean, they lost the season opener in 15 to Temple, but that was a long time ago. I, I just, I think that they are basically as good as they're going to be. And I don't know if I think that there's like one coaching hire away from being a national championship contender in the current system. I I don't know. I, I think if they can, this is one of those situations where if they can get what they have, but a different person, then everybody will be happy. Oh, you mean just like, yeah. I mean, looking at somebody else in a press conference. That's exactly right. That's 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 exactly right. So let's talk about the other team in this game, the one that actually won, Michigan. Uh, after this game, I do feel better about Michigan being ranked ahead of Michigan State, even though I still think that was just for uh, for the show, and I still think Michigan State should be ranked ahead of Michigan because they won the game. But I also well, they can't the change that- it now, can they? I mean, that would be complete lunacy. Right, and again, all of this will work itself out because Ohio State and Michigan State will play on Saturday and we'll know because if Michigan State beats them, they'll be ranked ahead of Michigan and Ohio State. And if Ohio State beats Michigan State, especially if they beat them by a lot, then you can say, well, they have different records and there's not an apples to apples comparison. Michigan has fewer losses and therefore we can rank Michigan ahead of Michigan State. So it all works itself out. That's fine. But I feel better about Michigan going forward. I don't know that I see them beating Ohio State. But I'm not sure I see them getting destroyed by Ohio State, and that feels like progress to me. What's the definition of destroyed? Three touchdowns or more? I think that's fair. I mean, they should be able to score on Ohio State. I mean, Ohio State's defense has proven to be kind of vulnerable. You know, I don't know if their just, defense has a chance. I want that to be a of, good game again, Ari. I everybody really wants it to be a good game again. I've, that's the only thing I want. If I had three wishes, that one of them would be restore the what I think is one of the best rivalries in sports, but it's not a rivalry right now. So, you know, I, I think that I'm pleasantly surprised by how well Michigan has handled their schedule this year. And if you remember when we went through the schedule from, you know, the beginning of time or beginning of the season to now we were thought, wow, look at this This is brutal. They got the Wisconsin on their schedule. They have to play at or play at home against Washington uh, at Wisconsin and Nebraska back to back at Michigan state at Penn state. Like I think that it was a hard time to find 10 wins there and now they've achieved that. So, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that they're going to be judged and they always will be judged by how they perform against Ohio state because it's the ultimate litmus test of where they are as a program in relation to a team that's competing for national championships. And if they go on and lose, um, you know, by 30 again, then we're back to square one. But I, I think that it'd be crazy to say that you're not impressed by what Harbaugh's done this year, especially yeah, considering the I, fact I, that they should have won the Michigan state game. Exactly. And speaking of, of teams high up in the playoff rankings, Byron Cardwell, for Oregon scoring a second touchdown in about five minutes, the Ducks have put away Washington State. They're going to win this game, and they will probably remain at number three. When we come back, we'll talk a little more about the team 
that is at number four right now in the college football playoff rankings. Welcome back. Let's talk Ohio State, Ari, because... Hey, before we talk about Ohio State, not to interrupt you, but I just saw an interesting tweet that I wanted to share because we just got done saying that Oregon put Washington State away. The line just came out. The line just came out for Utah game next week. Guess what it is? This is at Utah. Oregon by two. Oregon minus Utah. Two. Utah minus two and a half. Wow. Utah's a I'm favorite. Very interested in that game. to see if what kind of action there is on this early to see if that moves. I'm sure it will move, uh, but that to me is interesting because the Oklahoma thing. Oklahoma losing to Baylor has basically completely taken away the possibility that Ohio State or Oregon will be left out if they went out. So it's like I think that everybody would probably say that both teams to a certain extent controlled their own destiny, but now I think that's 100% true. So we can use that to to go into the Ohio State discussion that you wanted to have, but Oregon right now, if they win the rest of their games, is going to be in the college football playoff, regardless of what happens to Ohio State. You're absolutely right. They're not really tied at the hip anymore. Uh, But also, listen, if Oregon can keep doing what it did Saturday night, we're going to be just fine. And can they beat Utah? We don't know. Probably going to have to beat them twice. But Ohio State, a week after we saw them struggle against Nebraska and, and kind of reveal their flaws a little more, they play a Purdue team that had beaten Iowa when Iowa was ranked number two. And I, I don't obviously don't think Iowa was as good as, as it was ranked then. But they beat Michigan State when Michigan State was unbeaten. Ohio State put the hammer down on Purdue, Ari. This was, this was a pure butt-kicking. You know, when Ohio State's offense is moving, and they are who they are, that's what you get, you know? And there isn't a team in the Big Ten that can stop them. So, you know, I do think that there is a little bit to the idea that Purdue – Got quite a bit on their side of the ball, too. Offense scoring 31 points on the road. You know, I don't know how much of that was, uh, you know, Ohio State just being up by a million and kind of taking their foot off the gas. But, you know, at this point right now, the the, the overdrive mode that you saw Ohio State hit against a team that was supposed to give them a good game. You know, people were saying spoiler makers before the game started. This was supposed to – I mean, people were billing this as a big game. You know, and it just kind of, a, again, a reminder of – why Ohio State continually gets the benefit of the doubt in these college football playoff discussions, why the committee loves them. It's just what they're capable of doing. And if they're playing like that offensively, is there anybody in the Big Ten that can beat them? I don't think so. No, and they look like the team that can that maybe score on Georgia. And we'll talk about Georgia in a little bit too, but they, they look like a team where you can envision this team winning the national championship. You can envision them winning two games in the college football playoff against other elite teams and there aren't many other teams you feel that way about right now who, who do we feel that way about georgia uh, maybe alabama and and maybe ohio state I, I think that's probably it right now hasn't it kind of just been like that all year like I, like were, the, were there I other teams ohio state you... had to play its way back into that yeah but even so if i would have asked you six weeks ago do you think ohio state has what it takes to win a playoff game, you would say probably that they were the third most likely in, in college football to do it just based on what you know about them. I mean, this isn't surprising, right? You're not surprised at what they did, are you? No, I'm not surprised, but 
you know, you, you told me, and we'll we'll get to this with, with Oklahoma in a little bit, but you told me Oklahoma's kind of told us who they are. I was kind of wondering if Ohio State had told us who they were after that yeah. Nebraska game. But now I'm not so sure. Now now I think there's a there's another gear that they can hit where they can play with anybody. Yeah, and the cool thing about Ohio State is that if this isn't who they are and they're more like the team that played uh, Nebraska close, then you're going to be uh, a pretty in, in for a pretty entertaining two weeks. I mean, playing at home against Michigan State next week and then at Michigan on the road uh, the following week, two top ten teams, you know, it's going to be a fun thing to see. But, you know, I'm sure the spreads of those games are going to be 17 to 21 points. And, you know, it's just kind of like one of those things where it's just like if you think that Ohio State is, you know, offensively, uh, hitting on all cylinders that those teams can't fathom keeping up with that. It's just like when you watch the game, too, it's like Trey Henderson's one of the best uh, running backs in college football. Ohio State's offensive line has potentially three first-round picks on it. C.J. Stroud's coming into his own, and I think that you could legitimately say with a straight face that they've got three Bolitnikov finalists on their roster playing right now. Um, so it's just like what? who's going to score on Georgia? I don't know. Maybe the team that's got nine first-round draft picks in their starting lineup potentially right i mean that's just the way it works it's that's right. my calculus so you know maybe their defense Speaking is just going to score, score on georgia we, we thought it was going to be tennessee and tennessee goes right down the field yeah and scores a touchdown and i remember after georgia scored its first touchdown i turned to my my 12 year old and i said watch georgia win this game like 39 to 7 and it was 41 to 10 right before Tennessee tacked on a garbage time touchdown. So uh, Georgia, Georgia did what they do. They just, they, they made adjustments and just mushed Tennessee. And this, I, I feel like this one, even though the score actually kind of matches some of the, a lot of their other games shows you again, offensively when they want to, Georgia can crank it up and, and just pull away from you. I think that this game was just like every other game. Where it was, it was just like the other team just, I felt bad for them, you know? And it's just, you know what it kind of reminded me of? it, Like like the dweeb in high school, like getting a sucker punch off on the bully and then the bully just being like, okay, that was cute, then pushing him into a trash can. Yeah. It's like, I, it's just I like, ask you to wipe my nose? <laughs> I, I just honestly am so impressed by them. They are, they are such an impressive football team because – you know, you see shootouts, and it's just like you talk about Ohio State and their big offense, and just like that stuff is what we see all the time. What Georgia does is just sucks the life out of people, and it's just like it's a different. Maybe it's just we're not used to to watching football like that in 2021 anymore. But there's a yeah. certain special it's nature to just the way that they play the game, you know. And it's just like as a group collectively, they just impose their will. They don't let you get excited or happy about anything that's going on, and it just becomes hopeless. It's like by the middle of the third quarter of every single game they've played this year, the other team would just like tap out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, and Brad and Gary run out of things to talk about. Yes. It, it, that's, that's pretty much how it goes. It's so I impressive. Mean, I mean, I, it, it, I am it. genuinely looking forward to watching Georgia play Alabama in Atlanta. I Which, don't want to be this person and I am not this person. But I'm curious about what this is like, what this Georgia team can do against the best of the best. Because as we pointed out before the year, when both of us picked them to win the national championship this year, their schedule has been very advantageous for a, a SEC title run. Correct. You know, they have to play Alabama in the regular season. Um, 
you know, their their toughest stretch of the year was Auburn, uh, Kentucky, Florida. And it's just like there's no LSU on the regular season schedule and there's no Alabama on the regular season schedule. And it's just like I want to see them play Alabama and I don't know if Alabama can score on them. Like it might be a pick them when they, when they play, but I want to see Stetson Bennett against Alabama's defense on a neutral field in Atlanta. And then we'll know for sure that night, I think whether or not Georgia is just doing this to overmatched opponents or Georgia is actually equipped to beat the crap out of the other teams that are going to be their peers in the playoff the way that Alabama did a year ago. Now Alabama has to beat Arkansas to clinch a spot in the sec title game. And we, we can, they can render the the Iron Bowl irrelevant in that discussion, thanks to Ole Miss's 29-19 win against Texas A&M on Saturday, where the Ole Miss defense really did a number on, on Texas A&M's offense. I was wrong about this game. I thought that Ole Miss would pull Texas A&M into a shootout and Texas A&M would be able to keep up with them scoring. They could not. And Ole Miss gave them plenty of opportunities. You know, they – Ole Miss was in the red zone a bunch. They tried for, you know, tried for a few fourth downs, got stuffed on a few. Uh, one of those turned into a safety, but Lane Kiffin left a lot of points on the field, and Ole Miss didn't even need them. Is Lane Kiffin quietly becoming a really, really sexy uh, coaching candidate again? Oh, I don't think it's quiet. I think if, if it's loud now, I still think there's the keys a, there's to a, a Ferrari of a program. Lane. Right. I still think there's a stigma with Lane because he had USC and, and he didn't do well with it. But if you are LSU, if you are Florida, I'm not going to say if you're USC because obviously he did coach there before. But, I mean, you should kind of think about it. Like, all of you should be thinking about Lane. He's Kiffin. different now. Here's why. It's not just what he does on the field. It's not just coaching on the field. He gets the players to play hard for him, and that's that's a huge thing. But he'll go get some dudes in recruiting. And that's we, – we keep saying, well, how does an LSU, a Florida, a USC, uh, a Penn State, if that opens, how, how do you find somebody who goes and gets top, top 10 classes and coaches them up on the field? He probably could. Yeah, the thing about Lane Kiffin, I guess, the, the risk is, is that does he thrive in the current situation that he's in, which is – uh, a middle tier program that's not expected to win national championships and can kind of sneak up on people, or is he equipped to run a powerhouse program? Um, but I do think that, you know, what's been 10, how long has it been since he was at USC? How old am I now? It's been a long time. I mean, it's, it's you have been, to have, the coaches have to have the benefit of the doubt to, to have grown and to learn and to, you know, maybe excel in areas where they failed in the past and it's just like i would hire lane kiffin if i were a usc i'd give it another run yeah i i think you should have to fight off lsu or florida opens fight them off but i don't i don't know if you have to do that do you think that he's going to be a legitimate candidate for one of these big jobs i think he should be do i think he will be i don't know i because i think i think some schools would would consider him and there's some I think would just cross him off the list. Dude just was about to win ten games in the SEC this year. I know. In year two. <laughs> I know. It's, it, it, it is pretty amazing. I mean, they're going they're going to a New Year's Six Bowl. By the way, anybody saw Mississippi State come back from the twenty eight three deficit at Auburn and win that game? 
the Egg Bowl is going to be amazing. That game's on Thanksgiving. Like, that is going to be incredible. Yeah, I can't wait to watch that. I, I'm just, like, so impressed by, you know, the thing, too, is that, like, all of Ole Miss's games are, like, hitting the under. Like, they're not yeah. just doing it by they're scoring 60 defense. points every week. They're actually playing really good defense. Yes, they are. And so they've got Vandy. They're going to win that game. And then and then they've got Mississippi State. And so we'll see what happens with that one. But that's that's 10-2 and two if they can win the Egg Bowl. And they're going to a New Year's Six Bowl. So it's I, – I think Lane should be courted by some of these places and then Ole Miss would have to – to pony up and keep him or, or he, you know, he decide what he wants to do, but we'll, we'll see. I, I I'm very curious to see who comes after him because I think he could win at any of these places. It's, it's entirely possible. So we'll see what happens. We got to pause. When we come back, we're headed to the big 12 where I think there's definitely a new favorite in the league. Okay, Ari, let's head to the Big 12 because weird finish, but a result that you predicted that I did not, that I was wrong about. Baylor manhandled Oklahoma. You told me during the podcast on Friday, Oklahoma has told us exactly who they are. This is not a team that, that should be competing for the college football playoff. They're just not that good. That's exactly what Baylor made them look like. And Lincoln Riley's all mad at Dave Aranda for kicking a field goal at the end. Uh, Dave Aranda with a really interesting reason for kicking the field goal at the end. Point differential is a tiebreaker for the Big 12 championship game spots. So if you're Dave Aranda, you try to score as many points as you can because you've got a loss. You might take another one, but you might be able to get in with two. So... Uh, or I'm sorry, he has two. They have two losses. I'm, I, they lost to TCU last week, so they've got two losses. They've got to figure out, you know, what what happens next. So this is a uh, this is an interesting deal because you combine what Baylor did to Oklahoma with what Oklahoma State did to TCU. Ari, I think Oklahoma State's the favorite in the Big Twelve now. I thought it was so absurd that Lincoln Riley was upset about that and like i get it you know the whole thing was kind of a circus and they could have taken knees but it's just like a when oh, the fans ran on the field early and all that yeah stuff. no i know it was it was crazy i'm not saying that it was oklahoma and texas just bailed on their conference it might be the last time right. they ever play in mclean stadium um these programs are probably personally offended by the way that all went down and how many times has oklahoma scored like 70 points on their opponent like you lost, I would just I, I don't know if I were the head coach of Oklahoma if I would have said all that. I don't I, at this point it doesn't it doesn't even matter. Now, who knows? They might see each other again. Given Oklahoma's record in Bedlam, it's entirely possible they do see each other again. Now Oklahoma's got to play Iowa State, which lost on a 62-yard walk-off field goal to Texas Tech on Saturday. So I mean there's Oklahoma could win that game, could beat Oklahoma State, and then come right back and, and have to play Baylor again. We'll see. I, I don't know. I, But the, Caleb Williams 
took a lot of chances. This is what I, I've, I've been on the, the Caleb Williams bandwagon that he's going to be amazing, transcendent quarterback, especially in 2022 and 2023. He does have to stop throwing interceptions that are easily avoidable. Like there, there are times when you're screaming at your TV, do not throw that ball, just throw it away, throw it away. And he throws it right to a defender. And so they've got to get that figured out. Uh, they, they brought in Spencer Rattler briefly and then brought back Caleb Williams. But I mean, Ari, I, I just, I don't see this team beating Iowa state and then beating Oklahoma state to, to even get to the point. Can I just even ask Baylor. you if Oklahoma wins out and wins the Big Twelve and beats Baylor again on the way, are they back in the playoff? I think there's a chance. I think it depends on what happens everywhere else. You know, yeah, that, that's gonna... one of those where undefeated Cincinnati is probably in over that team. Yeah, I just it's always interesting because you it's it's easy to say, well, they just lost. Uh... What, what, what would what about what about a twelve and one Wake Forest? Where would they be relative to, to the twelve to a, the our hypothetical twelve and one Oklahoma? Because I think hypothetical twelve and one Oklahoma will have to beat uh, Baylor again, and they, they would have yeah. much better wins because they'd be on the road against Oklahoma State. They might have to beat Oklahoma State twice or beat Baylor again, avenging their loss before. I think that Oklahoma would still be a pretty attractive candidate, depending on how things go. Um, so, like, I don't want to be on the Oklahoma's out of it discussion, but. I also just don't think that they're very good. And I think the committee thinks that obviously with the way they had been ranking them and they just confirmed what they thought about them. So it would be a long hill to climb back up, you know, and I think the only hope would be if Caleb Williams turns a major corner, he doesn't play like a freshman, you know, down the stretch, they get another shot at Baylor and he does better. You know, I mean, I guess there's scenarios that are alive, but you know, the entire college football playoff discussion, I think is starting to open up a little bit now. Well, and, and, now Baylor's probably not in it because they've got two losses, but we got to at least talk about the the coaching job that Dave Aranda's done. They had a disastrous first season, but the, there was COVID. He changes his offensive coordinators. He hires Jeff Grimes. Uh, they go all in on Jerry Bohannon as, as this as the quarterback. And Bohannon, I mean, a true dual threat. He he actually didn't throw for that many yards. He only threw for 117 yards on Saturday, but he carried nine times for 107 and two TDs. And then they, they just, I mean, they were mashing people up front. Abram Smith ran for 148 yards, so averaged 7.4 yards a carry. That is That was dominance. And I, I cannot be more impressed with the job that Dave Aranda did going from what they did were last season to what they are now. I think there has to be something to be said too about Baylor as a program. I mean, they've, you know, you always talk about LSU and how multiple coaches have won there. Like right, Baylor's they keep program, coming back. They keep from, coming back. From pretty horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, maybe that job is uh, a little bit sneaky good in comparison to what we might have thought about it before. But, you know, absolutely think that may I think that you can say with a straight face right now that Baylor is the best team in the big. Oh, maybe not. Maybe Oklahoma State. But I think no. Be cool. I, I, yeah, I will say with a straight face. I think Oklahoma State is the big tw- best team in the Big Twelve right now. Now, I could be completely proven wrong come Bedlam, but Oklahoma State has dominated the last two weeks. And I realize it's inferior competition, but isn't that our complaint about Oklahoma is that they are not dominating inferior competition? Also, the Big 12 is always murky. That's always like this. Oklahoma State went to Morgantown and crushed West Virginia. 
then came home. And this TCU team beat Baylor last week, lest we forget. Oklahoma yeah. State annihilated TCU 63-17. to 17. Yeah. Yeah. And this conference is notorious for close games, too. Yeah. So I, I love Oklahoma State's defense. I, I they're they're fun to watch. I mean, you talk about it's fun to watch Georgia suck the life out of teams, and I think we see that we see that with Oklahoma State pretty frequently this season too. It's not quite the same level, but I I, I can't wait for Bedlam just because that's such a historically lopsided series. But maybe maybe this time it's different. Maybe it doesn't take like a crazy thing like a Tyree kill kick return for a touchdown to make it happen. Maybe Oklahoma State can just win. Yeah. I can't wait for that game. It's going to be a banger. Yeah. So they, they got to play. But now they got to go to Lubbock. <laughs> they got to go to Lubbock, home, home of the 62-yard walk-off field goal. But it's it's going to be it's going to be a wild finish in the Big 12. It'll be fun. I don't think the Big 12 is out of the playoff picture yet. Uh, Oklahoma, again, more with me thinking – that they're going to lose again than anything else. Not that if they win out, they can't be in. I think if they win out, they absolutely can be in Oklahoma state. If they win out, they can be in. We'll see if Baylor plays spoiler in this case. Uh, we have not talked about Cincinnati yet. They played on, on Friday night. They played at USF. They gave up quite a few points. Sorry. It didn't feel like they were in any danger in that game. But again, the way Cincinnati's played the last few weeks that my, my concern with Cincinnati is not, the record, if they're 13 and 0, I think there's a real good chance they're in at this point. But I think it was a, a big hurdle that Oklahoma's out of the beat. way now for them. So, right. But I, I just don't know if they can beat SMU and Houston the way they've been playing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and the committee knows that too. Yep. And I think so. We just have to wait. We've got two more weeks of regular season, we've got championship week to go. You say all we ever talk about is the college football playoff, but not true. We led with Kansas and Sanford today. So how about them apples? Because that's what happens when things get weird in November. Hang in there because it's going to get even weirder. We'll talk to you later this week.